Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Tonight, my guests are Sheila Gunn-Reed and Kian Bexty. Now, if you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show as well as other great TV-style shows, too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can also save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support Rebel News without spending a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. So what happens when the justice system fails Canadians by releasing pedophiles into communities? Well, some people are literally confronting these freed monsters, naming and shaming them. Sheila Gunn-Reed has some awesome video evidence on that file. And there's this beautiful mural in Calgary that some people wanted to deface with Black Lives Matter propaganda. Quick, call the mayor. Um, just one hitch, folks. He actually supported this ludicrous social justice scheme until a huge outcry derailed the desecration. Kian Bexty has all the details. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding my visit to Coburg, Ontario last Saturday. It was all about reclaiming beach freedom there in a legal fashion. But then law enforcement showed up and all heck broke loose. Just will you see that footage. Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. That's the case with sex offender Barry Odenbach from North Edmonton. He sexually violated a vulnerable girl when he was in a position of authority. So Sherry and the gang from People vs. Predators flew into action. They organized a community awareness campaign, a community barbecue, a massive biker motorcade that escorted the teenage victim from the airport back into the community where she wanted to have the opportunity to confront her offender with the help of a standing army of bikers and community activists at her side. The community doesn't want any predators in the neighborhood, Barry. Barry Odenbach. Silencing my daughter doesn't change what you think. Oh, Barry. Take a gift and try and break her! I get 
Odenbach called the cops on the protesters who were peacefully protesting his presence in the community. Now, they'll also do this for the next four days. Five cop cars showed up, but once the police realized that People vs. Predators has the consent of the community and are abiding by all bylaws and noise restrictions, the police left, obviously having much better things to do than worry about the feelings of monsters. Wow, now that is just gripping footage, folks, and it speaks volumes, doesn't it? Namely, when a pedophile is allowed to freely roam in a neighborhood that is full of kids, and he's living in a house that is adjacent to a public park, then there's something seriously wrong with the justice system. Joining me now with more on this sordid story is Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Sheila, that was an incredible video, and it just goes to show you that if the justice system isn't going to do its job by locking up child predators, well then, there's nothing stopping good, old, good, good citizens from naming and shaming these monsters who are lurking in the neighborhood, is there now? No, not really. I mean, I suppose it requires um, a little initiative, and this is... I mean, the, the information is publicly available. You just have to know where to look. Um, as far as uh, most police services uh, go, they consider posting the news of a sex offender's release to a community on their press release website. That's all the uh, notification that the community needs. And often, I mean, normal citizens don't go and do that. And that's where people versus predators are stepping up and filling the gap. They do look at that information and then they do go to the communities to let people know. Um, from what I understand, the predator in question, he's considering an appeal of his conviction, but as far as right now, he's a convicted sex offender against a child and the community didn't know. But you know, Sheila, sometimes the citizens don't even get that, i.e. information from yeah. a police website. We've discussed before how earlier this year I went out to Hamilton, the infamous uh, Gordon Stuckless, the Maple Leaf Gardens uh, pedophile uh, and sex offender. He was in a Hamilton halfway house. And when I did streeters uh, with people in the neighborhood, and there were parks there, there were kids there, there were schools nearby, nobody knew. They were thanking me for this information. 
why is there a problem with transparency? Why does it seem that um, the justice system and law enforcement is more concerned with, I don't know, the privacy rights of pedophiles as opposed to the safety rights of law-abiding citizens living in that neighborhood? Well, that's the thing. I don't think people... I'm normally someone who thinks um, that if you've served your time um, and you've, you know, expressed some remorse or, you know, not even expressed some remorse, maybe you killed a bad guy, I don't care. But if you did your time and you did it um, as best you could, yeah, you know what, I believe in redemption. I believe in people um, getting the opportunity to restart their life and, and do something different with their life. But these crimes against children are a special category of criminal. The recidivism rates are unbelievable. Um, the amount of victims that they have before they're caught or before they're even charged with their first offense, uh, unbelievably high. Um, this is a different kind of creature, uh, people who commit crimes against children. And for the sake of the community, they deserve to know. Um, however, they still end up with the same sort of um, treatment from the legal system where they've done their time. Um, a lot of them, they they do cooperate when they're in prison because that's how you get out early and they know that. So they do that, they get let out and as far as the legal system's concerned, they're free to go. And uh, And there really should be some other form of treatment for these sex offenders and especially the recidivist ones um, so that the community is always aware that they're there. But Sheila, this is the, the issue as far as I can see it. Uh, like yourself, I believe in redemption and second chances, but there's something different about mm -hmm. pedophiles as opposed to yep. a habitual shoplifter or a car thief. These are different cats. We know for yep. the most part, they are hardwired this way. Yep. They lust after minors. It's disgusting. It's despicable. But what about we take the leftist point of view? Oh, we you know, have sympathy for the offender. Okay, that also makes the case then, Sheila, to lock this person away for their own protection and our protection at the same time. Because, you know, as a mature male, what kind of a horrible curse would that be if you had, um, if you were conditioned in a way that you were sexually attracted to little children? There's no cure for it. So I'm arguing, Sheila, as far as I can tell, the system is fatally flawed by the fact that these people can get released in the first place. Well, and that's one of the things that uh, was brought to my attention by People versus Predators by Sherry Easton, who sort of does a lot of the research. Um, there's a lot of times where these recidivists, like long-time recidivist sex offenders, they've been in court in and out, convicted for the last 20 years, some of them. Somewhere along the way, prosecutors fail to bring forward dangerous offenders' applications. And so it could be done. So it could be done that these guys are deemed to be dangerous offenders and are held indefinitely. If they are released, they could be closely monitored, much the same way they tried to monitor Carla Homolka when she got out before she was able to get a pardon and change her name. Um, it's sort of like a restraining order between the community, the police, and the offender. They can do those sorts of things. Those tools exist in the system, 
for some reason, the Crown prosecutors aren't bringing them forward. And that's a real falling down. And I think Sherry and People versus Predators are trying to work towards change in legislation so that thing automatically happens and it's not left up to the discretion of overwhelmed Crown prosecutors. And Sheila, you raised another question. You are right. When it comes to somebody being slapped with dangerous offender status, they very, uh, you know, they don't use that tool uh, frequently at all. It's put out very sparingly. But my point of view is if you are uh, sexually assaulting a child and sometimes you're a serial sex assaulter of children, it seems like to me a slam dunk, you're a dangerous offender. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's not just sometimes you're a serial sex offender against children. It's more often than not that they are serial sex offenders against children. Um, and when you look at the damage, the, the, the lifetime of damage one act can do to a child, I mean, uh, it just it just compounds in someone's life over and over and over again. It, it infects and damages every aspect of a child victim's life. Um, if that's not dangerous and if that's not damaging to society, I don't really know what is. Well, you know, Sheila, once again, a great video. And I, I love this organization, People versus Predators. I mean, the fact that you know, if the justice system won't, you know, <laughs> lay out justice as it should be, there's nothing stopping these people from gathering outside on a public sidewalk and naming and shaming this person. And if they're making this pedophile's life a living hell, I say, good on you. Keep doing it. And I was so happy to see that the police who responded, they checked out the situation and they said, we're not, we're not taking, we're not having any part of this. We are, they're not breaking any yeah. law as far as we can see. And they left. So good on the Edmonton police service for that as well. Yeah, I thought that was really great. You never really know the kind of cops you're going to get when, when they yeah. get called on you. <laughs> but it's, uh, uh, yeah, the, uh, sex offender did call the cops, uh, Five cop cars responded, which was a lot. But I guess when you call and say there are 40 bikers on my lawn, um, <laughs> you do get an adequate police response. Um, but when the police got there, because Sherry and uh, People versus Predators are very careful to make sure that they have the consent of the community to be there because they are there sort of on behalf of the community. Um, and, you know, they, they make sure they're following all the laws. They're... they're um, you know, avoiding being on private property. They uh, follow all the noise bylaws. They they don't do any trespassing or anything like that. Try to keep the profanity to a minimum, although it's difficult when you're dealing with someone who's committed sex offenses against children. And when the police showed up, they said, yeah, you know what? You're checking all the boxes as far as uh, following all the rules. And we have better things to do today than worry about the feelings of a sex offender, which I thought was great because you don't often see, or you, you know, in, in the day and age where we see police overstepping their boundaries, going just that step too far, it was kind of nice to see how hands off they were. Well, Sheila, once again, great video. And please, my friend, keep on this file. You don't see the mainstream media reporting on this. Uh, so it, it's up to us to bring that other side of the story to our audience, as we so often do. Uh, once again, Sheila, thank you so much. Thanks, David. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed somewhere in the hinterland of northern Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this.
Black Lives Matter was hours away from destroying a beautiful masterpiece in downtown Calgary, giving wings to the dream, it's called, and it has been a part of the Calgary cityscape for over 25 years. Black Lives Matter, well, they hate beautiful things, and they hate everything about our society. They want to destroy it. Mayor Nahid Nenshi, well, he's exactly the same, and that's why he teamed up with Pink Flamingo, a surrogate for Black Lives Matter, giving them $120,000 to destroy this piece of artwork and to cover it up with radical extremist Black Lives Matter propaganda, and also to add three more installations somewhere throughout the city. Now, the good news today is they're backtracking. Pink Flamingo actually conceded. They say that the city isn't ready for their radical brand of activism, and guess what? I agree. Listen to this. Pink Flamingo will be postponing our mural project to summer 2021 due to the violent vitriol racism and threats we've received in the last 36 hours. The artist is free to change their mind or express themselves as they see fit, and we must adapt to this because of the power dynamic. It's not in our favor for a variety of reasons. Cry me a river. Our vision for this wall is one of hope, evolutionizing this message by hearing it from the perspective of a racialized artist. Well, I'm, I'm not sure what evolutionizing means, but I'm also not sure what you mean by a racialized artist. See, the whole shtick for this was that it was going to be a QT BIPOC person painting this, whatever that means. I don't like getting into their crazy jargon. But the point here is that the artist was as white as they come. Katie Green is her name, and check out some of her artwork for yourself. And I use the term art generously. Now, in case you weren't totally sold on how white this person actually is, Watch how she dances. This whole project encapsulates Black Lives Matter so perfectly. They wanted to destroy, and they still do, they want to destroy the beautiful things about our society. They wanted to turn this into this. Well, folks, I may not know art, but I know what I like, and I know what I don't like. Suffice to say, the Hope mural is gorgeous, whereas what appears to be a pornographic image rendered by a fourth grader is downright hideous. And to think the idea of defacing this gorgeous Calgary mural had the backing of the mayor? <laughs> Incredible. And joining me now on this story about <coughs> art and extremist politics is my colleague, Kian Bexty. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. So, Kian, Calgary is a big city, and I presume there are plenty of blank canvases, so to speak, that are out there on other buildings. So, who in their right mind thinks it's a good idea to go after a beloved and beautiful mural by painting BLM propaganda over it? I mean, what is the real agenda here, Kian? The real agenda is to destroy beautiful things. That's what Antifa does. They hate society. They hate how it looks. They hate what it represents. And Nahid Nenshi, Calgary's radical mayor, who used to be, you know, somewhat of a moderate, has now gone full Black Lives Matter, has gone full anti-Calgary, anti-society, anti-Western values, and uh, has, has decided that destroying beautiful pieces of artwork is is the the way to uh, appease his radical base the best you know can give me some understanding of why this mayor has been elected and re-elected in calgary because when i i've been to calgary i mean it's Cowtown for goodness sake it's all about western heritage it's the home of the calgary stampede how does a progressive like this 
get voted in by the majority of Calgary residents in the first place? That's a good question. It's a question Calgarians keep asking over and over again. Um, Nenshi always seems to be able to squeeze back in. At the beginning, he ran, as I said earlier, on a moderate campaign. Um, and, and Calgarians, although we vote conservative federally and provincially, especially, uh, we we don't tend to do that municipally. And it seems to be this conundrum the municipalities in Canada face across the board. Municipalities are always more left-wing than their constituency. And I, I would say that it has something to do with the fact that the services being rendered by that government institution are so much more direct on the person that people are willing to you know, compromise on their values to hire someone uh, to, to, to vote someone in who, you know, is going to clean their street, or is going to shovel the snow on, on the streets, uh, is going to pay to get that kind of basic infrastructure done. But along with that comes the radical socialist agenda, because uh, it, it's never just, they, they can never set aside the fiscal politics with the social politics. So we get this, this mayor who's, you know, there to provide your, your transit, your street cleaning, all that. Uh, but then we also get the the uh, along with that the radical socialist agenda, uh, Marxist cultural Marxist agenda of destroying nice things just to appease Black Lives Matter. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, uh, like I said, I I would have thought that the last Canadian city to embrace a mayor like Nancy w would be Calgary. But you know, Kian, if you were to poll, if we had a referendum on that mural. And we asked Calgarians, hey, are you all down with the idea of painting BLM propaganda over this gorgeous piece of art? Um, what would the majority, I mean, what percentage would come out and say, yeah, this is a great idea, as opposed to the percentage that would say, are you crazy? It would, there would be an overwhelming support for keeping the mural where it is. People love that mural. In fact, uh, one radical Black Lives Matter activist uh, actually started their own petition to keep the mural uh, because they said that it was such a terrible idea that it would have done harm to the Black Lives Matter movement to go through with it. It would have been so bad that even Black Lives Matter started worrying about the PR. Wow, that's incredible. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, you've really jumped the shark <laughs> when you get that kind of uh, response. But, you know, even so, the way I look at it, uh, Kian, uh, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, when they have their marches, you know, they're all about vandalism. They're all about um, either tearing down or defacing statues with paint, like they've done here in Toronto with the Sir John A. Macdonald statue. He's at Queen's Park. He's now contained in a box like a coffin so that no, none of the uh, progressives get uh, triggered to vandalize it anymore. But what I saw, what makes I think your story so incredible, is they were actually reaching out to get government permission and endorsement to vandalize uh, a beautiful mural. And they got it, and then of course, Nancy flip-flop. What was the reason for the mayor doing that flip-flop? Uh, I think he underestimated the backlash that could be generated by by uh, media that wasn't on his side. He's used to, just like Justin Trudeau, he's used to the CBC locally in Calgary, CTV, Global News, uh, City News, 660 News, which, you know, uh, we spoke earlier about the communists that runs their <laughs> political reporting there. He's used to people following, falling in line with him. And you know what? Rebel News hasn't 
been on the you know municipal Calgary beat so much. Um, like we cover countrywide politics, a lot of stuff in Toronto. We haven't focused a lot on Nenshi, and I think that needs to change because once we did, once we started raising hell with our reporting, he did a one, uh, 180 uh, almost immediately, overnight, in fact. So um, I think that that uh, we should we need to uh, be be more on on Nenshi's uh, trail because I think that the work speaks for itself. Yeah, it's horrible, but not surprising that there'd be so many members of the media that think that this would be an actual great idea in terms of uh, social justice. One last thing. Thankfully, this didn't get through. But, Kian, do you see the double standard, though, in Canada? We've had um, Sir John A. Macdonald statues. Uh, well, we had it removed by Victoria. Um, we've had the one in Toronto vandalized yeah. uh, frequently with um, uh, pink paint. We've had the one in Kingston. Um, had eggs and rocks thrown at it and uh, the mainstream media just you know shrugs its shoulders and oh well this is just you know uh, boys will be boys these are protesters making a point yet when the Pierre Elliott Trudeau statue in Thornhill um, gets to face with some paint uh, twice now it is a hate crime. York Regional Police is investigating this as a hate crime. <laughs> why, why is it we even have statue double standards here, uh, Kian? I, well, it's, be, it's because of, uh, well, and I'm not sure about the police authority in that particular uh, area, but um, by and large across the country, provinces that enlist the RCMP to do their, uh, to, to do their law enforcement um, are run by the radical leftist Brenda Lucky, uh, someone who kisses away SNC-Lavalin investigations with Justin Trudeau, someone who is absolutely not going to be investigating Justin Trudeau for this wee scandal. Um, it's It comes down to law enforcement in this country leaning leaning leftwards. Now, I, I also, I, I can't relate fully because you know what, and it's something that I'm kind of sad about because it seems to be a lot of um, content generation, but in Calgary, there's not many statues. There's no like, there's, I don't, I don't even know if there is one statue of John A. Macdonald in Calgary at all, uh, much less Pierre Elliott Trudeau. I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's no uh, urgency by anyone these days to put up statues. And if you're to put up a statue commemorating, I guess, you know, the Calgary Stampede, um, you know, uh, a cowboy on a bucking bronco, uh, the climate we're in, surely PETA would lose its mind and uh, do some kind of statue pull down. We need, we need one for Stephen Harper. <laughs> yeah. So, Kian, great report, and uh, thank you so much, and you have a good weekend, my friend. You too, David. Okay. And that was Kian Bexty in Calgary. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Well, talk about beach blanket brouhaha. You know, folks, upon being informed by our newest rebel, Tamara Ugolini, I simply could not believe what I was hearing, that the residents of Coburg, Ontario, and the tourists coming to Coburg still were not going down to Coburg's beautiful beach, even though there's a legal way to do so. You see, Coburg's eastern beach now resembles post-war Berlin, thanks to a steel fence preventing residents and tourists alike from having fun in the sun there. Social distancing, you understand. But there is indeed a loophole when it comes to accessing the beach. If a swimmer goes into the lake via the pier area, they are home free given that the town does not have any jurisdiction 
over the actual water. In a video we aired last month, we proved this to be true. And so long as my feet don't touch the shore, then there's no problem. And I can get right up to like ankle depth and my feet don't touch dry sand. I'm not breaking any laws. Well, have a nice swim. Thank you. <laughs> Splashdown. Hey, how does freedom feel like? Oh, I love it. I love it. The water's beautiful. And yet, even on a gorgeous, hot and humid August Saturday afternoon, nobody was taking advantage of their rights. I found this baffling. So reimagining myself as an aquatic version of the Pied Piper of Hamlin, well, I jumped into the lake. Indeed, this is something so many have told me to do for decades, actually. And lo and behold, <laughs> a few people actually followed me into the drink. But what was meant to be a fun stunt, just a goof really, suddenly turned ugly as bylaw enforcement officers, special constables, and police officers descended upon the beach to observe if anyone would break the law by actually leaving the water and go upon the sandy beach. Indeed, a bylaw officer told me that the rule is that if they can see both of the person's ankles, it is deemed that you are on land as opposed to being in the lake. And that's when warnings and or charges are issued. And no, I swear, I'm not making this up. So when you said the two ankle rule, that wasn't a literal interpretation. No, I was just saying as a reference. Oh, okay. And incredibly, one of the individuals arrested was Tamara Ugolini's father. In fact, he was even handcuffed. Wow, welcome to the Democratic People's Republic of Coburg, a place where you had best not dare venture upon the beach nor expose your ankles from the lake or else. <laughs> Just incredible. In any event, here's what you had to say about the Monty Python-esque absurdity that exists right now in Coburg during these dark days of the Wuhan virus. Canadian civilian writes, if any Canadian still thinks this is about a virus and not blatant authoritative control, then there's no hope for them. Well, uh, Canadian civilian, we do have a virus situation to be sure, but the death toll numbers indicate this is really just a bad flu season. As for the authoritative control, you're right. Politicians of every political stripe received a taste of totalitarian power during this Wuhan virus emergency. And as far as I can tell, they really liked the taste. No wonder, duh, right? The only proper news media covering this sad state of Canada. Well, thanks for the kind words, no wonder, duh. But here's the thing, I wager most of the people comprising the media party actually like and support these draconian measures being handed down by government. After all, it is the government paying most of these media folks in the first place. Outdoors Wit Durkit writes, 
While murderers and child predators roam around, people trying to be normal humans are now the problem and police and political priorities. Oh, come on, sir. We have to let those degenerates out of prison. Otherwise, how do we properly practice social distancing etiquette? Jesse writes, if you dress like a punk and start breaking stuff on the beach, you'll be just fine. Oh, absolutely, Jesse. These days, if you think you're about to attract the attention of law enforcement, merely claim that you are a Black Lives Matter protester. That's better than a get-out-of-jail-free card these days. Arliss McCutcheon writes, Under Sharia law, a woman can be stoned in a public square for exposing her ankles. Here, men are arrested and fined for exposing ankles at a beach, in the water, under a conservative government. Hey, you're right. These days, Sharia law, Canadian law, really, <laughs> what's the difference? Lee Gagne writes, This nonsense is getting totally out of control at the same time as tyrants are arresting people swimming. Patrick Brown is breaking his own laws in Brampton with impunity. I'm so tired of having our rights infringed upon under the guise of COVID-19. You know, I wonder if Mayor Brown has a cottage in Coburg, folks. I think he'd fit in there perfectly. And Tumbleweed writes, This is one mixed up world we live in. Good riddance 2020. Yeah, 2020 has been a horrible year right from the get-go, hasn't it? The shooting down of the Ukrainian airliner in Iran, the rail blockades that were paralyzing the country, all those teacher strikes. But those were just mere appetizers for the madness and pain that hit us with the Wuhan virus. Just one hitch though, I fear this madness is going to carry over into 2021. It seems like this horror show ain't ending anytime soon. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.